You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and my co-host is Dr. Mary Osborne, the Director of the Stewart House Museum. Thank you for joining us as we travel through the Key Magazine from 1882 to today. Oh gosh, Dr. Oz, I feel like it's been forever since we recorded Key Matters. Lucky you. I was thinking the same thing. It has been quite a while. Mm-hmm. Lucky you, you get to go first this time around with 1907. Okay, I will take it away. So let's begin with some historical context for 1907. On January 6th, Maria Montessori opened her first eponymous Montessori school in Rome. On March 15th, Finland became the first European country to give women the right to vote. On July 29th, Sir Robert Baden-Powell formed the Boy Scouts in England. On October 17th, Guglielmo Marconi's company became the first commercial transatlantic wireless service between Glass Bay, Nova Scotia, and Clifton, Ireland. And on December 31st, For the first time, a ball was dropped at Times Square to signal the new year. If you were born on any of the following dates, you share your birthday with these noteworthy individuals. On January 12th, Sergei Korolev, um, a Russian rocketeer engineer and spacecraft designer, you probably would recognize one of his creations, Sputnik, was born in what is now Ukraine. Uh, He died in 1966. On April 18th, the Hungarian-American classical and film music composer Miklos Rosa was born in Budapest, Hungary. On May 27th, Rachel Carson, the American marine biologist, conservationist, and writer, was born in Springdale, Pennsylvania. On November 14th, the children's book author Astrid Lindgren, um, probably best known for her character Pippi Longstocking, was born in Sweden. In 1907, we lost the following historical figures. On May 26th, uh, Ida McKinley, the former the former U.S. First Lady. Also um, from Ohio. And from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> died at the age of 59. On August 3rd, the Irish-American sculptor August St. Gaudens um, also died at the age of 59. And on December 17th, Lord Kelvin, the Scottish mathematical physicist, known for um, the Kelvin scale, um, died at the age of 83. Moving forward, the common themes among uh, my issues of the key um, are, the, of course, the fraternity question. Um, in these issues, um, the key is revisiting the opinion that fraternities produce among its members um, a feeling of clannishness or what we might consider cliques today. And the Keys editors have been accepting and publishing submissions from those not specifically connected with Kappa. Charles R. Brown offers a different answer to the fraternity questions. He says, it is good for the souls of men to be knit together with the souls of their fellows and for women to know and enjoy other women in similar fashion. It is the need of such association that lies at the root of the almost countless fraternities found in our cities. And I just like the simplicity of his response. He continues, 
The rightful place of the fraternity is in the university where boys and girls have become young men and young women better able to guard such organizations against these abuses. And his response focuses on an, uh, a debate that members of fraternities had been having about whether or not uh, fraternities should exist among high school students. And many people believed that um, high school fraternities were detrimental to, uh, to college fraternities and that is were some of the problems and some of the, the, problem, the problematic members um, uh, came about there. So, um, so he's just exploring it from a different angle. Um, overall, he really provides a balanced critique of the fraternity system, so I enjoyed reading his essay. Lucy Sprague, the Dean of Women at the University of California, adds that Panhellenic conferences are designed to combat the tendency towards exclusivity. So that was another problem that some of these essays were tackling. Sprague adds that the Panhellenic should foster students' ability to self-govern. She claims, but if the aim is primarily to make competent workers, and this is the typical American aim, to fit the, for the practical world which meets the college graduate, then self-government is an admirable teacher. And I wanted to highlight her point because I thought it was similar to one that our fraternity executive director, Carrie Poole, made about attending the FFE conference. Oh, yeah. Um, or that, is it the combined... FFE, FFA, or whatever. Yeah, I, I, when anybody says FFA, I just think about Future Farmers of America. <laughs> so, I, and because they off would often meet in Indianapolis. So, yeah. and this conference was in Indianapolis too. So, um, yeah. So I just I really liked her her point about um, one one conclusion that the conference came to was that you know fraternities produce good leaders, and here is. Lucy Sprague saying the same thing. So. Now, uh, another common theme among these issues was, of course, how women's education is evolving. And one trend um, that is happening, at least in 1907, is women, women's leagues are being established on campuses across the country. The Women's League was founded in 1889 by faculty women and students at the University of Michigan. And its goals were first to bring the girls of the university closer together, second to establish some sort of natural association between the faculty women and the college girls, and third to carry on some organized philanthropic work. In some ways it kind of reminded me a little of Mortarboard, just another one of these organizations that Kappas and other fraternity women um, belong to, and there's a lot of um, a lot of similarities between all of our organizations. So. And the sciences, of course, are becoming more and more popular. Uh, Henry Prentiss of Iowa debunks the perception shared by many humanities majors that the biological sciences lack aesthetics. So she <laughs> argues that, the, yes, it reminded me of that one comment a long time ago when we talked about the different, uh, they were running a series of essays on professions that were opening up to women and the author of one article was talking about architecture, and so one deterrent for yes. women entering the field was was the um, the dress code. 
And so they couldn't one, clamber around a building because they had to wear flowing skirts. Yes, yes. So th- this reminded me a little bit of that. Now, now Henry and Henry at Apprentice is advocating that women should go into the biological sciences because she's saying they're you know they're beautiful in their own way. Humanities majors shouldn't snub the sciences. And she said something about they find them distasteful. So <laughs> okay. Um, uh, conversely, the art of managing a home has now become a science. Elizabeth Potter of the California Alumni Association contends that college-educated women are better equipped to run a home if they have the opportunity to take domestic science courses. And usually these types of articles focus on food chemistry and that being an example of domestic science. but. Her article was even more extensive. She started talking about how they could, the university could offer classes in uh, the science behind textiles and decorating and choosing aesthetically pleasing colors and choosing the right fabrics based on their pencil strength. And I mean, it was it was very detailed, very very detailed. Um, and then um, the key is celebrating its twenty fifth anniversary. I mean, believe it or not, it has been. 25 years since the first issue of the key back in 1882. And well, then so it's the, almost our 25th. Nah. No, I look, no, no. <laughs> um, 25th year of the magazine anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the articles in the December issue are very reflective and, and largely devoted to reviewing campus history. And uh, the issue, the December issue, opens with an article by Monmouth College President Thomas H. McMichael. And, you know, one question that you and I have often been asked is how many women students attended Monmouth when it first opened. And, of course, uh, Monmouth goes back and forth on on which year it opened, whether, you know, we're celebrating 1853 or 1856. At this point, it's 1856, so. Oh, I was at the 2003 celebration when they celebrated 1853. (laughs) I I always thought that was really kind of strange. And then my college uh, started doing the same thing. Like when I started there um, on Founders Day, they would talk about how the college was established in 1889. And then mysteriously, uh, I think my senior year, it became 1888. And I really think that that had to do with the fact that the the current president uh, he's no longer president but at the, when i was a student the uh the current president wanted to have served like a certain amount of time and like that would coincide with the school's um 130th anniversary or something like that something you know, so he could preside over all of the the festivities. But so anyway, then it became 1888. I was like, well, what happened to 1889? <laughs> so whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, I think it was the 125th, not the 130th. Anyway, uh, so, you know, the, the founding of colleges, that date is very fluid. So anyway, uh, he said, McMichael states that uh, the co- during the college's first year, which would have been 1856, uh, at the time of the writing of this article, he he says 99 students were enrolled, and of those, 26 were women. 
and we learn other things uh, from these histories that our listeners might find surprising, such as Lou Stevenson and Sue Walker were not considered founders originally. And Kappa's official, uh, Kappa's official colors were once cardinal and cream, and then bronze and blue before eventually becoming blue and light blue and dark blue. Can you imagine carrying a bouquet of the maiden hair fern with a ribbon of, what was it, cardinal and cream? Oh, oh, I thought the maiden hair, oh, like maiden hair fern violets and cardinal and that would be a really I was terrible. just thinking of before we had the technical iris, which the founders say we had it all along, but for a while they were actually tossing around doing the maiden hair fern and I forget what the other flower was. There were violets. That was one of, yeah. Um, violets could cool. have changed. Violets are easier to find. <laughs> grow it was the big argument and so then people argued back and said we should not choose a flower simply because it's easy to find if anything we want the flower that is difficult to find because we are much more unique than just something that's out there um you know how each month has a flower assigned to it you know, it's like your birthday month so um february is the violet and you know that's ada mariner's birthday or birth month so yeah. I was like, I'm partial to the... your birthday is in October. No, yeah, mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they didn't choose October. Minnie's birthday. And anyway, um, I think October is, is like the cause. Well, it depends on what list you're looking at. I've seen uh, maybe like the chrysanthemum or I don't know. It's not it's not very pretty, not like a violet. Yeah, chrysanthemum would make sense for fall. Yeah. Yeah. Ours are like going like gangbusters right now. Well, they're probably about dead because of the frost, but. Yeah, the, the frost killed what was left of the ones here. So yeah. anyway, um, in alumna news, uh, it seems that <laughs> finding volunteers has always been difficult. And this excerpt from Bo the Boston Alumni As Association's bulletin made me chuckle. They said, as yet, our association has been unable to find anyone to serve as president or vice president. But after Christmas, we hope to have a new lease of life and hold meetings every month as usual. So I was like, well, even in 1907. <laughs> Some things never change. And because it would not be a true Dr. Oz episode if I didn't mention at least one of the three topics that I am am knowledgeable about, which I already mentioned Ada, if that part doesn't get cut. Does this fall under Oz and Ends? No, it doesn't, because it is a, it, tr it truly is alumni news. Okay. I do have an Oz and Ends section, though. Uh, Dr. Crawford was awarded her internship. Uh, the May issue included the announcement from uh, from the Psy Alumni Association that Miss Mary Crawford, and I, at first I thought, wait, it's people, okay, you know, can we please say Dr. Crawford? But she hadn't she hadn't been awarded her MD yet. Your so. sister's Dr. Oz. I know, <laughs> but personalities. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Now that you're a sister in the bonds, you can't just say whatever. I yeah, but she always wanted, but she was always known professionally as Dr. Crawford. So from one doctor to another. Yeah. But professionally is not sitting in the chapter room with your chapter sisters. Okay, I'll I'll give you that. <laughs> yes, Dr. Oz concedes. But I'll y'all concede that. Uh anyway, uh 
Miss, well, Molly. Okay, if we're going to be really, really, uh, familiar, you know, familiar, Molly was <laughs> victorious over 35 men at the competitive examination for a position as ambulance surgeon at a hospital in Williamsburg, uh, which this would be, um, uh, Dr. Crawford practiced in Brooklyn, and this is the Williamsburg Hospital, and its history and even the name of the hospital is kind of convoluted, so that's a whole nother topic. But anyway, it's the Williamsburg Hospital. They're not actually in the town of Williamsburg or anything like that. Uh, and um, later, Dr. Crawford received her degree from Cornell in June, which is why they were calling her Miss Crawford. And the uh, Alumni Association also notes that she's the second woman to hold this position in New York, the first being uh, Dr. Emily Dunning-Berenger, also of Psy Chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, then in chapter news, not a lot going on, but uh, Beta Upsilon was installed at the University of West Virginia. Uh, chapter houses at Syracuse University were quarantined for scarlet fever. Uh, no Kappa chapter houses, but other fraternity houses were quarantined. And it seems as though the informal spread, or I guess we might call it a potluck today, is very popular among Kappas and undergraduates just in general because, you know, who doesn't enjoy food? And, you know, the <laughs> chapter letters never go into specifics. So I've always wondered, what would students bring to a spread in 1907, given that they wouldn't necessarily have access to refrigerators and, you know, yeah. things that things that we would have today or grocery stores, you know, if they're um, on a campus that's far oh, from that's town. That's a good question. And they probably wouldn't, well, they may have gone to purchase something to take, but probably more likely it was either something put together or homemade. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose they could have. Yeah. I don't know. I just I just wondered what they would have eaten. Not like um, a box of donuts or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe fudge. I, I know that uh, later on, you know, fudge parties in the dorms. Everything is about yeah. fudge because I'm going to mention something about fudge in 1908. <laughs> and now I will conclude with uh, my odds and ends, which mm -hmm. I'm probably going to Yes, start calling Oz and ends. Thank you. Yes. Um, one of your favorite Kappas, Juliet Stewart Points from Barnard, uh, reported on a student government convention held in the fall of 1906 at the Women's College of Baltimore, which I think either, I don't know its history, but wasn't it known as Goucher first or later? Um, I, I, well, I think Goucher is maybe its current name. Okay, okay. I think so. I th I think that's the same one though, same place. What was it called in your article? The Women's the Women's College, College of Baltimore. I yeah, I think that's Goucher. Uh, she reports at Barnard, for instance, the student council composed of the five officers of the undergraduate association and the four class presidents has almost unrestricted control over the cut system, the honor system, the authorization of new clubs and fraternities, student conduct, scholarship regulations for office or plays, and lastly over the fraternities collectively and individually, where they infringe upon the rights of the college as a whole. And I thought that was really interesting because can you imagine if students had that much control today? <laughs> Again, I'll bring up something else that talks about how students were in charge of their own, their own to-do. 
And then check out one of the University of Pennsylvania's rituals. Not, this is not fraternity ritual. This is just like a, a student tradition. It is the custom at the, at the University of Pennsylvania to solemnize, which is, that's a great word, solemnize the so-called cremation ceremonies. Perf <laughs> professors who have aroused the students' ire by teaching unpopular subjects or by being too much wrapped in themselves and work to be very alive to the boys are burned in effigy. <laughs> Appropriate words are spoken on consigning the victims to the flames, after which the queerly garbed officials and the student spectators in general evince their enjoyment in as fiendish a way as possible. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think that'd be like a hate crime today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I'll end with uh, a few little tidbits that have a connection to the Stewart House. The Mrs. Grace and the Mrs. Grace and Little, the Mrs. <laughs> Grace and Virginia Little of Rushville, Illinois, charter members of Upsilon, sailed July 6th for an extended trip abroad. Now, you may not know, but the Littles were charter members of Upsilon at Northwestern. They and their mother, Lydia, sewed a crazy quilt, which is now part of the Stuart House's collection. I had in our, our plaque that gives some information about the crazy quilt did not talk about where the Littles were from, but Rushville is also the hometown of Minnie's maternal aunt, Elizabeth McCamey, and Minnie's first husband and step-cousin, William Wallace Nelson. Nice. And then, um, the December issue includes an in-memoriam to a Miss Caroline K. Smith, who died November 19th, 1906, and she was a member of Alpha Chapter, um, initiated in 1873. So I looked her up in, um, in Estelle Barnes' um, binder of research, and yes, uh, she, Caroline Smith was there, but she, in Monmouth, was known as Carrie uh, Smith. And, and she did indeed die on November 19th. I found her obituary. She died in uh, Chicago at St. Joseph's Hospital. And she was survived by three sisters and two brothers, one of them being a Mrs. M.C. Sewell of Tacoma, Washington. And I did wonder if that sister was somehow related to the, uh, the Sewell sisters who were founders of Pi, Be Pi Beta Phi at Monmouth College. Well, Just keeping it in the family. Yeah. yeah. That, that's all the Catholic news from 1907. Until next time. So, Dr. Oz, I wanted to record a little bit of a follow-up to what went out on Friday, November 5th. It was a review of the Key Magazine from 1907. Or 1906. And what was the question that you had asked? I had asked if... Uh, Lila Willits was related to our, one of our founders, Anna Willits Patti. Yes. And I was really hoping that, yes, we had found, you know, uh, another line of relations. And as we've talked, historically, names have changed spelling. So maybe way, way back. Uh, but I had to chuckle because I'm sure a poor undergrad heard this alumna come back, one of the charter members of. Um, was it Swarthmore? Beta Iota? Yes. I think it was Swarthmore. Yeah, because of Pencil because Pennsylvania. Yeah. So 
when I looked, our 1975 history book, our 1932 history book, and our database all have her name as Eliza K. Willits, W-I-L-L-E-T-S. And how does Anna Willits' family spell her name? With an I. Two I's. W-I-L-L-I-T-S. So myth busted, we figured out that there at this 10 seconds is not a connection between one of the charter members of Swarthmore and one of the founders of Kappa Kappa Gamma. Yeah, that's too bad, but thanks for looking that up. Yeah, I love a good, love a good name mystery. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by the director of the Stewart House Museum and member of Alpha Deuteron Chapter at Monmouth College, Dr. Mary Osborne and me, Kylie Smith, from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College, and the Archivist and Museum Director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.